0: So let's open this week as we continue this little series on what is the church to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, and we're going to read verses 25 through 30. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." So, husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. be God. Be seated. I've taken up this series of sermons on what is the church because, and this is the third part, so um, previous two sermons, because I I think we're getting more and more individualistic in our approach to life. And the church is not individualistic. Of course, there are aspects to our salvation, right, that are individualistic. We will stand before God, each and every one of us, by ourselves, being judged for our own sins on the great day of judgment. We came to faith, and the Spirit comes in to people. The Spirit doesn't regenerate whole churches, right? And so there's an individual, I don't, there is an individual aspect. But as soon as God regenerates us, He says, now you're part of my life body, my household, my church. And so the church is the, the, the society of those whom God has redeemed. And if it was just mentioned to be the church, we'd be like, okay, that's fine. But, but so close is the union between Christ and the church that the church is called His Bride. You know, it's like, a it's the one flesh union. And this whole passage in Ephesians is is Paul like, one point he's talking about men and women getting married and then it's the church and the body and then it's men and women and he's sort of morphing in and out and you don't really know. And then at the end he says, well, I'm talking about the church. and And you're like, okay. But then he says, but each individual among you must love his own wife even as himself. And so he clearly has this marriage between Christ and the church in mind, and he's applying the principles of that marriage to earthly marriage, right? To the marriage that you may have with a man or a woman before you. But, but we've become so individualistic that the church really is seen as unnecessary today. How many Christians do you know who say, well, I don't really go for organized religion? Or how many do you know who, who have, have no connection to Christ's bride, the church, and are perfectly like that's normal, right? They don't even, they, they're not even embarrassed to say it. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can't really find uh, a body to be a part of. Well, that's a shame because the major portion of your sanctification will happen within the church. All of your discipline, should it be necessary, and guess what? It's necessary. We're all needing discipline. Will happen here in the church. Right? And and those who sever themselves from the church just want to call their own shots. That's what they want to do. Right? And so the discipline they do is self-discipline, but but self-discipline is limited by your own evil insights often, right? So we need the church. We need the church. But we need to find just the, exactly the right spot for the church. The church... Um, yeah, we'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> I'm getting ahead. Um But we'll we'll go back to this passage. Ephesians 5. Have it open before you. Ephesians 5.25. And so, here's what I want to say. Marriage between a man and a woman is to be a reflection of the marriage between Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. As I have said previously, the church is described as the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Jesus Christ. And so, all of history according to God's revelation in Scripture, all of history is working toward the consummation of that marriage between Jesus and the church. Interestingly, God sovereignly ordained it that we would read Revelation 19 this morning, right? Which is all about that, you know, the next phrase is, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? And so all of history is working toward the consummation of that marriage between Jesus and the church. And when all is said and done, when everybody living and dead has been judged, some will be attending that, that, that wedding and some will be cast out of the benevolent presence of God forever. The end of all history is working toward a marriage. The marriage upon which all other marriages are a mere reflection. The time that is described to us, that time is described to us in in the reading we just read, but let me remind you of it. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all you his slaves, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, can you imagine that? Hallelujah, like thunder. Hallelujah for the Lord God The Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who gets to go to that marriage supper? The bride of Christ gets to go to that marriage supper. Now, think for a moment about this. Jesus has chosen a bride. This mic is ringing over. One, of, something's ringing over here through the monitor. If you could just, thanks. Um, but think, think for that moment, Jesus has chosen a bride and he, he's done a great deal for this bride, right? I mean, think of the things that Jesus has done for his bride. I mean, endless healing, endless teaching, endless sustaining, and then finally dying for her. And the Ephesians 5 passage we read earlier tells us how committed Jesus is to his bride, the church. He loves the church, verse 25. He died for the church, again, verse 25. So that he might make her holy, pure, glorious, beautiful, without spot, without wrinkle right? Blameless, verses 26 and 27. He nourishes and cherishes the church, verse 29. He has united himself with the church, who is his body, verse 30. I mean, think of the glory of all of that, just as husband and wife join themselves together and become one flesh right for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they become one flesh so jesus loves dies for sanctifies purifies glorifies nourishes cherishes and unites himself to to each of you individually no yes I mean, yeah, but no, all of you together, all the many members in one body, which is his bride, the church, right? He has done all those glorious things to his bride, the church, and it's the perfect marriage. Or will be. It will be when we're, we're cleaned up and sanctified and glorified and attend that wedding feast. Then it'll be the perfect marriage. Right now, it's it's the long-suffering spouse loving his church. And And what is the responsibility of the bride to her husband? What is the responsibility of the church to her husband, Jesus? Ephesians 5 tells us she is to submit to. She is to obey her husband, Jesus Christ. Look at verses 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, there we have it, so also in the earthly reflection of that marriage, the wives ought to be to their husbands in most things. I mean, that it's funny, it says in everything, Right? And we don't even stop and think, you know, um, where, where should the church have a break from obeying Christ? I mean, we don't even think about it in that circumstance, right? But here it says wives ought to be subject to their husbands, to obey their husbands in everything. And in the Greek, you know what that means? In everything. Then verse 33 tells us just exactly what that submission is. It is, among other things, respect. It's respect. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife, the church, must see to it that she respects her husband, Christ. Okay? So Jesus loves, dies for, sanctifies, purifies, glorifies, nourishes, cherishes, unites himself to his bride, the church, and the church, in response, respects and obeys Jesus Christ because he is her husband and her head. Now, that's all theoretical, isn't it? Seems pretty theoretical. What difference does all of that theology make? What these these you know analogies that he's making here what difference does it make to know that Jesus Christ is the husband and the church is the bride that Jesus loves the church and the church is to respect Jesus Christ does it make any difference does it make any difference in your view of the church does it make? does it have any practical application to us well, no, let's move on. Of course it does. The applications are endless, right? Again, I want to point out that the Holy Spirit teaches us that the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb, the society of believers joined together is not an accident. It's not like they're, you know, the early church, they were like a bunch of you know, individual Christians who were like, I believe, I believe, I believe. And they looked around and they said, you know what? We should get together every once in a while. That might be fun. That's sort of the church today, isn't it? Eh, we, we have some things in common. We should get together every once in a while. It would be kind of fun. No, the church existed well before The church existed in the mind of God well before it existed on earth. It was the society of the redeemed, his elect, even just in his mind. Right? And so the church precedes creation. Right? And so not only is it not, we can't blow it off, it's always, always been in mind. It's always been there. And so to think that we could somehow be a, a... a rogue Christian outside of the church is just to sever yourself from from something that God has had in mind through all eternity. It's that significant. The church is his bride, not simply a loose association of people who have something in common. That is what a country club is. That is what an alumni association is. That is what citizenship in a country is, right? But that is not what the church is. She is more than a voluntary organization. She is united to Christ. She is a wife. She is one flesh with Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. It gets weird to even think about, you know? As I said last time, Scripture does speak about each of us individually and how we relate to God, undeniably. Our conversions are deeply personal experiences, for the most part. We are each individually called sons of God, friends of God, saints of God, brothers of Jesus, believers. We are many members, you know, we are separate members in one body. But we falsely make then the conclusion that that is all we are. We falsely conclude that my relationship with God, my religion, is an individual personal matter. Right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. And that's sort of how we approach the Christian faith. And that's true. But think of the weight of the passage I read earlier from Revelation 19. It treats all of those whom Jesus loves as one thing, one bride, one wife, one bride being made ready. We should sing, Jesus loves his bride, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his wife. Bible tells me so. Jesus' husband, now let Let me take you on a wild ride and we'll see if we return. Jesus is husband to no one other than his bride. He's husband to no one other than his bride. He's fiercely committed to her. He has eyes only for her, right? Jesus has one bride. Jesus is not a polygamist, right? He has one bride. He isn't married to each one of us individually. Okay, He is not married to each one of us individually. He doesn't have thousands or millions of wives. He has one wife, the church. Those who refuse to be a part of that church teach others that Jesus is a polygamist. Do you realize that? That's what they teach people. If you refuse to be a member of his bride... You are calling Jesus a polygamist because you're not going to deny yourself that you're in and that you're part of the club, but he's got one wife. Those who do not conceive of the church as she is described in Scripture, the bride of Christ, quickly conclude that the church is unnecessary, that it's irrelevant, that it's unrelated to my individual faith, which is all that matters. And in concluding this, you know what they become those individuals severed from the church, they become the promiscuous woman who has not one husband but five or 5,000. You see what I'm saying? The one who will not be a part of Christ's true bride, the church, is the seductress trying to have the attention of Jesus where he has not put it. He is married and will be married to her and to the church alone. Right, he has died for her. He has sanctified her. He has glorified her. He's nourished her. He has loved her with an everlasting love from before the foundation of the world. And yet, those who sever themselves from the church say, "No, I could never be a. Ch- I believe I'm a, I'm a member of the universal church, but I, I could never be a part of a local body." They're making Jesus into a polygamist. They're trying to seduce him away from his bride, the church. Maybe that analogy helps you. Maybe, it, maybe you think I'm weird. Why do so many then think that they are attractive to him when they have cut themselves off from the church? So many people think they're attractive to Jesus when they've cut themselves off off from his bride, like a mole getting hacked off her arm. You'll remember this quote from the last few sermons, the man who won't have the church as his mother may not have God as his father. It's from Cyprian, church father. We could also say the man who severs himself from the bride of Christ, the church, may not have Jesus Christ as husband. So the invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb may not be coming for you in the mail if you've severed yourself from the body of Christ. Now there's one other application I want to make based on the reality that the church is the bride of Christ and Jesus is her husband. It is this, the bride must act the bride. The bride must be the bride. She, as Ephesians 5 passage teaches us, is to submit to, to respect her husband, Jesus. Just as a child obeys his parents, a slave obeys his master, a wife obeys her husband, the church is to obey Jesus Christ. How does she do this? It's very simple. Really, she gets herself together for a purpose, to love and to submit to her husband. She assembles together as the bride for the purpose of receiving the love, sanctification, purification, nourishment, discipline, instruction, comfort that her husband, Jesus Christ, promises her through the washing of the water of the word. And So may we listen to him intently as he washes us with the word, as he, we pray, is doing now washing us with the word, the bride of Christ assembled. The bride gives to Jesus honor and respect, which she can, in most respects, only do as she is constituted as the bride, the society of believers who are united to Jesus and unified in the Spirit. If you are a part of the bride, you have certain obligations, certain ways of acting that are appropriate for a, for a bride the very least of which is to be the household of God the body the bride of Jesus Christ to be it which means to be in it which means to gather with it right to be the bride together it is precisely here that Jesus has promised to nourish and cherish outside of her the bride There is only self-nourishment and a thousand mistresses. Jesus loves his bride, the church. He is going to give his special grace there. So may we, through our commitment to be the bride of Christ, through our commitment to be his spouse, bring great respect and honor and obedience and fear to our husband, Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Now just as an aside, did you notice that I say that we are to fear our husband Jesus Christ? Well that word respect at the end, that wives are to respect their husbands, the word is actually fear. The Greek word is actually fear. Now, individual Christians are born and die, right? We've seen that proven time and time again. Individuals are born and die, and they go to be with the Lord, and when they leave this world, they go to live with the church triumphant, right? They go to be in the church triumphant. There is that church triumphant. um, You know, that the church triumphant is that church that those who reject the visible church in this world always want to point toward and emphasize, right? I'm, I'm, look, I can't be a member of a, a local visible church, but I'm a member of God's invisible church. How many of you heard people say that? I mean, I kind of like to see a show of hands. I see some head nodding, but, but I hear, I, again, as a pastor, I hear that quite a bit, right? What do you do? You're a pastor. Well, you know, I can't, and immediately people are into the reasons why they could never be a part of a church, Right? You've heard people say they belong to the church universal, the unseen church, but they will never belong to a local visible church. I've heard a lot of that. Usually when someone doesn't like how the church is speaking into their individual situation, right? (laughs) That's when we get defensive. But since the foundation of the church, there has always been a visible church, which is the bride of Christ. If we think the Christian faith is one of the faith of autonomous, individual, unconnected believers who belong only to the invisible church, then the presence of the visible church is unimportant to us. It's superfluous. If everything is about the invisible church in heaven, then this means nothing. We couldn't care less if Christ's bride has any presence in the world, even. But that is not the way it is, and because God has constituted the members of the body, members into one body, we have the joy of knowing that the bride of Christ has existed and will continue to exist from generation to generation in this world, okay? Now, this distinction between the visible and invisible church, and we could call it the church militant in this world and the church triumphant in the next, is important when it comes to baptism. Okay? This is really important when it comes to baptism. Baptists have a... Ten- this, this is Trinity Presbyterian Church. I just want to remind everybody. Last time I checked. Baptists have a tendency to be individualistic and focus only on the invisible church, that church triumphant. Right? They think of a pure church, that everybody who's in that church is, is a genuine believer, and because they've made a profession of faith, they're, it's a pure church, so it just perfectly parallels the, the invisible church. So when it comes to baptism, they have no conception, really, of a visible church in this world that the children of believers, the children of believers are born into. They just want that child to someday make a profession of faith and enter into the church invisible. So the doctrine of the church can tend to be weaker in the Baptist context than in the Presbyterian or Pado baptist context. Proof of this is how many of you as Baptists were baptized at a parachurch ministry assembly? That had nothing to do with the church. You were baptized by a college club. You were baptized at a conference. You were baptized something distantly related to the church. That happens quite often, right? And is proof in my mind of this idea that the church visible is superfluous. All that matters is the church invisible. And so those who see the importance of both the visible and invisible church give the sign and seal of covenant membership to their children. The children of believers who are vitally united to Christ and living in his bride in this world, awaiting the consummation in the next, are early on, actually by virtue of birth to believing parents, embedded in the church visible by baptism. Okay? Now, Bannerman explains this better than me listen to this i hope it's helpful it's short the doctrine of the visible church and its external covenant relationship to christ you've got to do some theology don't don't get tired don't get tired i'm not here to i'm not up here to massage you and put you to sleep i know i do that sometimes but um you have to do some theology right it's good to think during church, you think at other places, think at church too. Think hard. And so get these distinctions in your mind between visible and invisible. The visible church is the church we see, it's the local body of believers gathered. The invisible church is those who've, it's the elects who've gone to be with the Lord, right? It's the elect through all times. But listen to this the doctrine of the visible church. And its external covenant relationship to Christ lays the foundation for the view of the church membership, which justify us in regarding the infants of professing Christians as entitled to share the fellowship and privileges of the church. According to that doctrine, a saving faith on the part of a man is the ground on which he is admitted a member of the invisible church of Christ, not the condition demanded for his reception of church privileges within the visible church. It is, on the, it is, on, uh, it is found in not of faith, which... Uh, sorry, I missed a word here and as I um, wrote it, and now I'm trying to figure out what it is. It is on the ground, not of faith, which an unconscious infant cannot have, but of that external relationship to Christ, which the child may share with the believing parents, that we are warranted in holding that the infants of such belong to the visible church, are themselves members also, and therefore entitled to the enjoyment of its privileges and its ordinances along with the parent. Okay, so you see, you see what I'm trying to get at here is, Baptists have a tendency to put their mind on the invisible church. Therefore, they wait until there's a full profession of faith, and then they apply baptism. Whereas Presbyterians tend to think more on the visible church, okay? And the promises that God has made to the church. I will be a God to you and to your children, right? And so they baptize and bring children before profession of faith into the visible church. Not thinking about the invisible church, okay? Baptists are all focused on the invisible. Presbyterians are focused on the visible. And that can get both sides in trouble. Okay? That can really get both sides in trouble. Okay? Um, the The way it gets Presbyterians in trouble, if you're so focused on the visible church and you're applying the sign of baptism to a child... You want that to mean regeneration. The water hits them, they're regenerated, they're in. So membership in the visible church is equivalent to being in the visible church, invisible church, right? And so everything, this is the era of the federal visionists. This is the era of the presumptive regenerationists, right? Everything visible corresponds to the invisible, right? Right? So you pour the water on, it immediately regenerates, everybody's good, right? Whereas the Baptists, the Baptists are so focused on the invisible that they rule out the children of believers from, be, from receiving the covenant sign, and they have no command in the New Testament ever to do so. It's, so it gets both sides in trouble. And look, Evangel Presbytery is a denomination with both Credo Baptists and Pado Baptists. We are trying to live together in unity. But the one thing you know we had to agree on, there was going to be no Baptists and, and Pado Baptists together in one denomination unless the Baptists conceded the fact that their children were members of the church. We couldn't get past that. If they, and they did. They conceded that. And maybe people think we're trying to backdoor the Baptist in, we're not. But there's no way to get beyond, to have any reproachment between the two without children being considered members of the visible church, okay? Now, where the Presbyterians go wrong, in a certain part of the Presbyterians, the federal visionists go wrong, is they, they, they presume regeneration they have an ex opere operato view of the sacraments. In doing them, they produce what they do, okay? And they believe that, that in, in putting the water on, that they're, boop, invisible church members, elect. We presume that they're elect, and we say, no. No, we don't, we don't do that. That's not why we baptize babies. We don't baptize them because we think we're regenerating them. We baptize them because they are members of Christ's bride, the church. They're members. They're members. They're, they're members of the visible church. Are they members of the visible invisible church? I don't know. I have no idea. Time will tell. We won't know that answer until the end, Right? But those children of believers, children of believers, when were the children of Israel ever cut off from the covenant from their parents? When were they? The sign of circumcision was given to them at eight days, right? And even Ishmael received the sign of circumcision, right? Along with his brother Isaac. Right? They both got it. And yet we know that one was part of the invisible church and the other was not a part of the invisible church. Right, And so Baptists have this conception that the church is a pure thing. But we know it's a mixture of wheat and tares. But the children, the children of the church are members of the church. That's what I want to say. We, we need to have a conception of the bride of Christ that is not influenced by individualism. And the Baptist idea, and not you guys, you guys are great. Yeah. Many mainstream Baptists, they're so focused on individual and individual profession of faith and a profession of faith as a, as a work that pleases God. They're so focused on that, right, that, that, that they can't... They, they can't um, They can't conceive of a church that has any tares among the wheat. Which is quite strange. Because the last time I looked at general Baptist churches, there were many who made professions of faith who proved themselves to be tares. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely but can we have a conception of the bride of Christ? A conception of the bride of Christ and this distinction between visible and invisible where where the visible counts for something, right? And and part of that is the the discipline of the church, the life of the church, the, 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 the organic life together nature of the church, that's part of it, but it's also how do our kids relate to it? Are they on the porch waiting to get in until they're usually 10? Or do they receive the sign of the covenant by virtue of being birthed to believing parents? And then they're in the visible church. But the Baptist would say to me, look, these kids that are younger than than 10, you know, they're, they're like, they don't have passports they're in the country without a passport. So the visit that's the church. Why why go through all of this? Why go through why stick my neck out on this and risk offending everybody in the room? And and the denomination I'm in the the whole point of this is i just I, I want to hold forth the importance of the visible church i think credo baptists in large part dismiss the visible church the local church right they're happy they're happy if somebody gets baptized outside the church in a lake by their high school counselor you know but that's not a sacrament of the church the church has the sacraments This visible body has the sacraments. And so, um, our tendency as idolaters and sinners is to want to free ourselves from institutions that require anything from us. Okay? And we shouldn't do that because those institutions, especially the church, hold much good for you. You need those sacraments. You need baptism. You need the Lord's table, and those are the churches, right? Those are the the main means God has of distinguishing between worldlings and His children, right? And we we need the the discipline of the elders, and we need the discipline of the preached word every week. We need we need those marks of the church to be enacted, and the marks of the church are absent when you when you are a church of one. And so the visible church is very important. That's my point in this. This visible manifestation of the church is important and it impacts our view of baptism. And so I'm going to pray and not take any questions. <laughs> it's a monologue, preaching's a monologue. I you know, Sunday school you can, I'd take questions. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your church. What glory we have all known being in the church, being loved by the church, being sanctified in the church, having the affection of Jesus Christ set upon us as a body. How helpful it is to me to know that Jesus' affections are not just for me, but they're for everybody in this room. They're for your people. And I'm just one among them and constituted together in one body. There's glory in that. And so, Father, I pray that as we, as we uh, work upstream in the Christian culture within which we live, I pray that we would, that the church visible would have its right Place. Father, that we wouldn't overemphasize it and make everything uh, sacramental. And we would not underemphasize it and make everything spiritualized and off in the distance. Uh, but Father, may we know that you gather together in the visible church with your saints and you are there. You are gathered with your people here. And we are united to you. So, Father, I pray that our thoughts of your church would increase, and I hope that this sermon would have worked to that end. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.